Good morning, church. How you guys doing? Good. Glad to hear that. Um, unlike what your fridge fold says, I am not Dr. Pastor Mark McNeese. So, Dr. Pastor needs a doctor. Um, so he is very ill, and I got the call last night to get off the bench and <clears throat> and to preach. So um, what you have before you today um, is not a polished message that I've been praying and sweating and all that kind of stuff about um, studying this week. You have me and my thoughts from the last few hours this morning and last night and the scriptures that Pastor Mark did put on the fridge fold and handed to me. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel this morning. So grace to all of us. One of the things as I was kind of going through the Christmas season that really struck me, um, my eight-year-old daughter was reading the Christmas story to us at our family dysfunction, as Megan says. And as she was reading um, out of the message, these verses just kind of like hit me about the shepherds. And the shepherds, they, they're out like out in the fields, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of isolated. There are these people that are on the fringes culturally. The, the shepherds, whether you know this or not, they, they were kind of despised. They were looked down upon. When the shepherds came to town, people tended to lock up their stuff. Because for whatever reason, when the shepherds left town, stuff went with them. <laughs> Things disappeared. And to these people of very little reputation or, or very little influence or even a negative influence, God sends a choir of angels proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel, goodwill towards men, peace on earth. Today, Christmas happened. Today, Jesus is born. And so the shepherds, they hear this, and their response is they receive the good news. They hear truth, right? They hear truth, and they don't just go, oh, wasn't that awesome? Who made dinner? Did, did you pick up some wrong mushrooms or like what's going on? I mean, we're seeing the, this heavenly, the heavenly host. We're seeing these, these, these stars and these lights and, and this amazing display here. What? And then they say, let's get to Bethlehem. They're miles away, but they say, we need to not just experience this truth. We need to go and find this little baby boy. We need to go find the cause for this announcement. We need to go find the person that this is relating to because we're not just going to leave it in the realm of, of some kind of like ethereal truth, some ideal, some wow, wasn't that cool experience that we'll forget about or maybe write in a journal, but we are going to go find the object of worship. And so they go. But they don't just go. They run. They go fast. They get there as quick as they can. And I think the challenge for us is to have the shepherd's heart. We're going to look at a man today. His name is Saul. He was the first king of Israel. We're going to see how the shepherd's heart kind of comes full circle of what's going on in this man's life. Saul, just to kind of give us some context, a little bit of what's going on. Saul was the tallest 
of everybody. He's the best looking. I'm not talking about me. I hear your little giggles. He was the tallest. He was the best looking. He stood head and shoulders above all the rest of the nation of Israel. And the people picked him. Because he looked from the outside appearance like he was worthy. Like he was qualified. And inside this man was mush. Inside this man was filled with a false humility and a cowardice even. Maybe it was just an awareness of his inability like so many of us have. Not something to be despised, but something that he despised about himself. Why? Because we're human. We have weakness. There's no one in this room uh, of us that, 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 that we stand and just go, I got it all figured out. I'm the best at this. No, you're not. There's always someone better. You may put on the mask. You may, may put on the, the, to, to get men's pleasure, to get appeal, to, to find yourself, your worth, to have other people say, hey, you're good. You may kind of put on that facade and act like we have it together, but we see our weaknesses. Sometimes we look ourselves in the mirror and, and, we're, and, our, and our hearts are filled with hatred and self-loathing. Sometimes we don't even dare to look. We, we don't want to really be introspective and examine the things that are coming out of our heart. We'd rather just listen to the words of what other people's interpretation is of who we are. Those little snapshots where you open the door and you're, and you're the nice guy. Oh, thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. I know. Those, those, those times where we're, where we're serving people, here's your cup of coffee. Oh, thank you so much. Those times where, where we greet and, and where we get to put on our best side. Here, look at me, my left side, right? From about that angle, that's the best side of me. That, that's what I like. Just take a look right there. When I turn this way, don't, don't look at that. That's not as, that's not as pretty. That, there's a, my nose sticks out a little funny that side. I don't, we like to show off the good things about ourselves. And Saul was the same way. And so when we read about this man's weakness, we shouldn't go, oh, glad I'm not like Saul. We should go, wow, Saul had a deep need for God just like me. Saul had a deep need for God just like me. Well, this is what is going on in the, in the life of Saul in this, in this chapter, in the verses that we're getting ready to. He just came off of this amazing military um, victory that was not brought about by him because he was sitting on his rear end underneath an oak tree waiting for somebody to do something, but instead by his son, who after 40 days of watching his father do nothing, gets up early one morning with his armor bearer and said, let's go pick a fight because our God is not going to be defamed anymore. And, and I'm just going to get out there and we're going to do something. And we're going to see if God is with us. He might be, he might not be. And if he is, then this is what's going to happen. And if he isn't, then this is what's going to happen. And we're going to turn tail and run back to camp. But God was with them and they they had this mighty victory over the Philistines. And in the aftermath of that, in chapter 14, comes down this, this battle between God and Saul. It doesn't look like that. What it looks like is Saul gives this decree and says, nobody's going to eat anything until I have vengeance on my enemies. And this great victory happens. And along the way, 
Jonathan kind of breaks one of Saul's little sideline commands. Nobody's going to eat anything. And it finds out later that Jonathan did have some honey. And, and Saul says, you're going to die, man. You broke my decree. You're out of here. And all of the people rise up and say, no. Jonathan's the one who brought about this victory. Jonathan's the hero. He's going to die today? No, no, he's not. And all of the people speak against the king, speak against the leader, and he backs down. Well, then God sends Saul out on a next mission, go to the Amalekites and wipe them out. The Amalekites were the people that, as God was delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt hundreds of years before, the Amalekites had, had come up behind them as they had their formation, the, the strong men and the warriors up front, and then all the way through, weaker and weaker until at the end uh, of, of the pack, at the end of the line, there were the, the women and the children and the elderly, and the, and the Amalekites come up from behind them and begin to attack and slaughter the children and the women and the elderly. And God says... I'm going to take care of those people. Saul, go wipe them out. All of them. And this is where we wrestle with the justice of God because we'd much rather prefer our own version of fairness. We'd much rather go, well, let's just, let's just find that compromise. Let's just find that middle ground where nobody really gets hurt. And in the meantime, there's people like Amalekites who are hurting. And God says, no, we don't need fairness. We need justice. We need justice. We need to move forward and we need to clean the slate and we need to bring about victory and purity and wholeness. I've got to take care of this problem of sin. And we don't like that because that's, that's bloody. I don't know if you've ever seen The Passion of Christ, but it's, it's a hard thing to watch a man be brutally beaten. It's awkward for us. And to realize that that same justice of God is the righteous wrath that was poured out upon Jesus Christ. It was God's justice that killed Jesus. Because I'm a liar. And because I'm a murderer. And because I'm an adulterer. Because I am. Each and every one of us has to stand in that place where we look inside of our hearts and we see the weakness. We take the words of Jesus where he says, well, if you've been angry with your brother, then it's the same as killing him. The words of Jesus say, if you look at a woman to lust after her, well, guess what? You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. The weakness comes from the inside out, and so the heart is what has to be cleansed and purified and made whole. And it's the righteous justice, the righteous wrath of God through justice poured out on Jesus that gives us the opportunity to be made whole, to be healed, to be purified, to be cleansed. Well, Saul comes to this moment in time where He's already bowed as the king, as the sovereign. He's already bowed to the will of the people. See, one of Saul's greatest weaknesses is he's a, he's a people pleaser. He wants everybody around him to have a smile. He wants everyone around him to, to affirm him. 
He's, he's head and shoulders above everybody else, but on the inside, he is bowing on his knee before every single being and saying, will you please affirm me? Will you just be pleased with me? Tell me how good I am. Tell me what a good person I am. Tell me what a good king I am. It's an impossible mission. And instead of bowing his knee to God and being loyal to God, he bows his knee to men. And this is what God says through his prophet Samuel, verse 10 of chapter 15. And the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. He's not been loyal to me. Loyalty is a very prized thing, isn't it? I mean, you think about your friends and you think about your family and you think about your expectation on them. When, they, when you speak words to them, when you, when you open up your heart and you say, hey, this is who I really am, when we sit in that space of, of kind of barring our heart and opening up our being and we, in our desire to be known, in our desire to be loved in this human capacity to be poured into. And when they, when they tell someone else the secret, when, when we open up our heart and we share some of our deepest, most private, most tender, most unsure thoughts, and when they, when they lash out, when they respond by not understanding us, when they get defensive, when they get angry, when they tell us how foolish we are. In these moments, we find our deep need for Christ. In these moments, we find our, our deep need for salvation. We find the answer to the question. We find Jesus. Loyalty to God is first, okay? It's first above everything. I, was, I drove by the, this sign this morning and it said, if God is for us, you know, who can be against us? A beautiful thing, but this thing that stuck out to me was if God is for us, and the way that it was worded and the way that it, it, that, it, that it sounded and just kind of rung in my ears this morning was different because I know that God is for us. I know that, that God wants us. I know that God is our, is our biggest cheerleader in some sense. Like, like he wants relationship with us and he wants us to win. And he has given us the opportunity, has provided the way for us. But it, what it sounded like in my ears today was, was something different because as I read it out loud, what I heard was that God, my version of God, exists for me. Maybe another way to say that is like, I've got God kind of like all neatly wrapped up in this little box. God's for me. See, God, God is for me. God is... God is there to answer my needs and God is there to help me when I need him and God is there that when I'm, when I'm aware of my weakness and I'm aware of my inability, he's my crutch and I can just kind of lean on him. He's my splint. 
He's not the firm foundation underneath my feet. That's just kind of what was resonating in my mind. I'm like, how many times do we do, we do this to God? And maybe another way to say it is like, no, God isn't for us. I'm for God. God made me. The creator is not for the creature. The creature is for the creator. I'm here to glorify him. I'm here to reflect him. Saul didn't get that because he was focused on pleasing people. He was disloyal and he refused, because of his disloyalty, he refused to obey the command of God. When I read that, I just immediately kind of went to this, those words of Jesus that I already told you, and I went to just the Ten Commandments. And I, and I wonder how serious we take the command of God. How serious do we take the word of God? When we look at our lives and we, when we examine it, Examine it, do we, do we love God with everything that we are and do we take his word when he says, hey, don't lie, and we say, yes, that means all the time, not even white ones, you know? Do we, do we take the word of God that says, don't lust after people, but then go, well, I've got, I've got needs, I've got appetites, and if I don't satisfy these appetites, then, well, guess what, you know, like, other worse things will happen. Where do we justify ourselves instead of settling for God's version of justice, God's righteous wrath against those weaknesses that are going on inside of us and let him bring about wholeness? Because when I pacify myself, I will never see the healing of God. When I cope, I will never experience hope. When I, when I sit in that space and I say, and I coddle myself, and I make myself feel good. I will never experience the comfort of God. And the comfort of God is life changing. When God himself has his arms around you when, you, when you open his word and you can hear the voice resonating in your ear, when you have those moments when you can look back in your life of faith and say, God met me there, and he 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 met me there. The future never looks the same. But Saul refused to obey those commands, and the challenge for us is not to justify and to complicate and to convolute the command of God. When he says, this is my design, man and woman, then we either submit ourselves to that or we war against God. When he says, don't lie and don't steal and don't kill with murder, and we justify that, then we fight against the command of God. And I'm not trying to dictate morality to you. I, I know that the words that I'm saying in the tension and the political tensions of, of our culture sound that way. And I just want you to know, God's word proclaims a design and he proclaims what is best. And he proclaims a hope. And if we will want that hope, he will revolutionize what we think we know. 
<laughs> he will change even the passions and the desires of our heart. The things that are natural and the things that seem normal and the things that we want and seem so in such an innate part of our being, God will go, no, let me show you what, what's real. He will give you a new heart. He will give you the desires of your heart, the Bible says. Not because God is for us. All right, God, give me what I want. No, he will give you the desires that he wants you to have because we are for him. We are the creature. He is the creator. Now, for those of us that are like, we think we're on the spiritual side of things, we think we're spiritually mature, then this is a great example for us. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. When was the last time you did that for somebody that you knew was living outside of God's design? Are we willing to do that, we who are followers of Christ? Early the next morning, Saul, Samuel went down to find Saul, and someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. <laughs> then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Now, what is the disconnect between Saul's reality of saying, I live in God's will. I'm perfect just as I am. The things that I'm doing, they're natural, they're normal, they're godly. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I followed God's command. What is the disconnect between Saul's reality and what God has said, which is, no, you're disloyal to me. No, you've disobeyed me. And I would suggest to you it's just simply the spirit of God. Saul's doing what's right in his own eyes, or as has been clearly shown, he's also doing what is right in the people's eyes. Because as the story unfolds, Samuel says, Then what is all the bleeding of the sheep and the goats and the lowing of the cattle I hear? Samuel demanded, and Saul says, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. They are going to sacrifice them to the Lord, whose God? Your God. Oh, the Lord, my God. Lord, your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, that false humility not a true humility. You, you may think little of yourself. God has anointed you. The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Hey, so you might think that that you're not qualified. You might think little of yourself, but, but you are the Lord's anointed. Christian, you might think little of yourself, but the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Does he? Then the words of Christ that, that echo in our ears that when, when he says, nothing shall prosper against you. The words of Christ that say the gates of hell can't stand against you. Do we believe these things? Do we, are we the Lord's anointed? Are we the children of God? Is the Spirit of God upon us? Because if it is, if he is, if God is with us, then what happens 
on a day-to-day basis, honestly, it really doesn't matter. The situations, the circumstances, the Spirit of God has been given to, for us to be able to overcome those things. The verses that we hate, that Pastor Mark even read a, a couple weeks ago, we're like sheep for the slaughter. Oh, aren't those encouraging words? We're creatures to experience and reflect the Creator. And what happens whether we're actually materially prosperous or not, we can be emotionally and mentally and spiritually prosperous. Whether the physical goes away, it doesn't matter. The Bible just says it's like a tent. You're just camping. That's all you're doing. You're just camping right now in this short amount of time. And yeah, sometimes there's mosquitoes and sometimes it's too cold and sometimes the, the wood's wet and the fire isn't gonna light. And sometimes, you know, the things, things go wrong. But the Spirit of God is there to sustain you and to uplift you so that you are loyal. And this is really just about dependency and that's what, that's what this table is about. This isn't a table of our sacrifice, this communion table. This is a table of, of Christ's sacrifice. Listen to what Samuel says to Saul here. Well, Saul, Saul gives his rebuttal first. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me, and then he, then he contradicts it. And I, and I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops playing the blame game, brought in the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord. There it is again, your God in Gilgal, not my God. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? What's more pleasing to God? Your interpretation of how you're honoring God with the relationships that you're in? Or true obedience to the voice of God to, to do things like be at peace with all men or to turn the other cheek or to not be a slave to any substance, even coffee. Listen, exclamation point. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And in one fell swoop, Samuel, the same as Jesus, just says, it's all a level playing field. The great equalizer is sin. Murder, it's the same as your white lie. It's not up here. It's not worse. We could use language none of us like. Being a pedophile is no different than being a liar. Being a murderer is no different than being disobedient to your parents. That doesn't equate in our human human consciousness. You might even think I'm a fool for saying that. It's just what God's word says. 
Because these are heart issues of rebellion. These are heart issues of saying, God's for me when I need him. Or the opposite, which is I'm for God. And the truth is that, that we prefer God's lesser than Jesus. We prefer food. We prefer madmen and Game of Thrones to intimacy with our Savior, to the voice of God. And these are heart issues. For those places that we don't understand and those places where we're tired and we're weary and we're just worn out and we're depressed and we don't have what it takes to do life right. So we run away instead of running to God and being dependent upon him. If we really want to define love, we have to let God define it for us. If we really want to, to touch and experience the life of Christ, then we have to say, I'm all in. There's no other option. You dictate my reality. And that's what communion is about. Communion is a, is a remembrance of Christ. Communion, as we go to the table, it is saying this, this cracker, which happens to be gluten-free, for those celiacs in the room, this, this cracker represents the brutalized, broken body of a Savior. And I need a Savior. Not, a, not just like a, a counselor for a, a month to, to get me through the hard times. I need a Savior day in, day out. I have to believe, I have to trust in, rely upon, and cling to. As we lift the cup there's juice, and it's sweet, Welch's grape juice, delicious goodness. But it represents blood, blood, blood that came through his stripes, through the palms of his hand, through the, through the brow of his head through the very pores of his skin as he wrestled with taking on the sin of the world, taking on your sin, taking on my sin. And I don't know how to say it any other way than we are, we are desperate to bow our knee to the Savior of the world, to the God of the universe, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to the Prince of peace, to the glorious, omniscient, all-loving God, we must bow. We have the privilege to bow. The privilege. And as we go to the table, as we go together, as we go as brothers and sisters, as family, as people who are desperately hurting, someone in our community, their, their mother died on Christmas Day. People all around you have experienced the dysfunction of their family and the dysfunction of this world because of sin. And we need to be family today. 
And as we go into musical worship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We're going to open up the tables. If you need prayer, I'm just going to ask you just to be authentic and just simply to raise your hand. And whoever is around you, those of you that, hey, I'm in a good place, I feel healthy, then this morning is your time to minister to your brothers and sisters. They raise their hand, doesn't require a conversation, it just requires you laying your hand on them and praying for them. Don't go to the table alone. There's no alone in community. You want somebody to, to go? Ask somebody. You stand up and you go to the table? Ask somebody next to you. Hey, will you come, come with me to the table? Brother, sister. And if you are in a place where you just simply, you know what? I'm not right with God. Then don't go to the table. Because it's a table of celebration. It's a table of joy. Not a table where we're counting our sins. The table where our sins have already been forgiven. And we stand 100% pure. You're boldly going to the throne of grace when you go to that table. If you want prayer and you feel like I'm broken and I just, I don't know where to go, then go to that back room. I'll be happy to pray with you. This is one of the great privileges that we get today to remember Christ, to remember the Lord. And I hope that as we go, that God does something miraculous. But for some of us, I expect that he gives you a new heart. For some of you, you may be experiencing physical pain, and guess what? I'm praying that God does miracles today. That's what I'm praying, because my God wants to. My God. And I hope that we don't find ourselves like Saul saying, well, maybe your God wants to. Or we did this for your God. But I hope that today as you go to the table that that is an expression of my God did this for me. And he wants to make me whole. And he's going to show me the way step by step by step by the power of his spirit. Day by day by day into who he wants me to be as he's molding me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.